Timothy chapter 6. We're going to complete this uh, message that we started a couple of weeks ago. You have the notes in your bulletin, or you should, probably should have brought your notes that you've been writing on for the past couple of weeks. There are three major errors that we're talking about. One was the right to possess money, and we've talked about that for a couple of weeks. All the money belongs to God, and He desires us to have some. In fact, He desires us to have more than we need. And He's given us three ways to have it, to gain it, uh, that we work, that we save, and that we plan. And last week we looked at some of the things that might hinder us uh, if we don't seem to have enough. The next two major areas that we want to look at, we're going to conclude those tonight, are um, how to regard money. Once I have it, how should I regard it? God wants me to have it, well, which, how should I think about it? What should be my attitude towards it? And then how uh, shall I use it? What is the proper way to use money? We've really talked about that all, all along, and we'll just conclude uh, that portion of it. Well, let's talk about the way to regard money. Money can be a great blessing, can't it? Yes, 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 it can, but it depends upon what? Our attitude towards it. It can also be a great pain. Some of the richest men who've ever lived in America have spoken about their money and the money that they've had and how devastating it was in their own life to possess it. I, I know uh, one man, I've read several times this quote, John D. Rockefeller, his health was uh, miserable until he began to give his money away. But he said it was a bane to his life, as much money as he'd had. <laughs> Trying to keep track of it, take care of it, uh, a real problem. So the issue is for us, what's our attitude towards money? How should we regard it? Now the wrong way to regard money is to love it. Is to love it. Now this is something that all of us are going to struggle with. Because all of us are tempted to love money. We're tempted to possess it as our own. And we can fall into, a, I think, a real subtle trap of loving it. And we'll look at that tonight. So the wrong way to regard money is to love it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Do I hear some thunder? Would you uh, go back and... Uh, Speak to, uh, they're doing Father Abraham back there probably. Right? <laughs> Father Abraham. <laughs> uh, we've had that in our house. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Listen to what uh, Paul writes to Timothy, this pastor of the church at Ephesus. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, you notice he doesn't say that money is a root of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money. He's talking about our attitude towards money. And money is a very, very real big part of our life, isn't it? Huge part of our life. We said that we spend so much of our life trying to get it, hold on to it, figure out how to spend it, not spend it, uh, that the love of it is a is the root of all kinds of evil. 
So money is not, just the love of it. Now, I mean, you can have, you can have um, lots of money and not love it. Isn't that possible? And you can have no money and really love it. Isn't that true? So again, it's our attitude towards it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Paul speaks about a, an, an attitude that we should have, and he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We will be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, he back up one verse. I want to show you something. He talks about corrupt men. And a mark of corrupt men, he says, is that they think and they believe that godliness leads to financial gain. Do you see that at the end of chapter, verse 5? Corrupt men think that godliness leads to financial gain. What one of us hasn't at some point in our experience thought, well, if I'm real godly, God's going to bless me financially? You ever thought that? I have. I've fallen into that trap. Very early on in my Christian experience, I, I was afflicted for years with this mentality of being wealthy and striving after lots of money, and I wanted to be a rich, rich man financially. And when I became a Christian, some of the remnants of that mentality hung on, and I was pursuing godliness. I figured, boy, if I'm godly, God's going to bless me. And then I read that verse. It's corrupt men who think that way. So be careful. Because that's tantamount to what? Loving money. And thinking, well, if I'm godly, whoo, I'm going to have lots of money. Some people actually think that godliness is a means to gain. It is not a means. Godliness is an end in itself, is it not? It's not a means to an end, it's an end in itself. So if I'm not going to love money, then what should be my attitude towards money? I should be, what's the word he uses? I should be content. I should be content with what I have, shouldn't I? That's hard to do, isn't it? Boy, it is hard to be content sometimes. But that's what the Bible says. Listen to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content. You remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11? He says, I have learned to be, what's the next word? Content. I've learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I find myself, whether I've got lots or whether I've got little, I've learned to be content. Contentment is the key with respect to our attitude towards money. Contentment apparently is the opposite now of loving money. When you're not content with what you have, you fall into the trap of loving money. And loving money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not just one kind of evil. All kinds of evil. And we'll look at some of those things in just a little bit. People come along and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at, look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. You want to get rich? Well, that's what awaits you. If it's your heart's desire to get rich, that's exactly what awaits you. I'm not saying that. Who says it? The Holy Ghost. God's Spirit says it. He says, be wary if you want to get rich. Getting rich and wanting to get rich is tantamount to what? Loving money. Isn't it? And it leads to all kinds of problems. You say, well, are you, a, are you against getting ahead in life? No. No, I'm against loving money. I'm against loving money. Well, I want to make a million dollars for God. Well, guess what? Don't. God doesn't need your million dollars. You don't have to make a million dollars for God. And don't cloak your desire to want to get rich in those spiritual guys. Isn't that what people do? Oh, sure. Well, I want to be rich. And I can help the kingdom. What are you doing for the kingdom right now? I venture to say that you'll find that uh, you're probably not doing much at all for the kingdom. So be wary. Be wary about wanting to get rich. Because it's going to lead to all kinds of evil. And it's tantamount to loving money. Desiring to be rich. There's a difference between desiring to be rich, wanting to be rich, having lots of money, and bettering your life, right? Progressing in your job, right? Sure. The Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right? And then let God worry about whether He's going to give you a million dollars or not. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Don't seek to make a million dollars. Don't you suppose that God has, an, has the exact plan for your life? Doesn't the Bible say that? Absolutely. God knows exactly what your life, what your life is, is about, where it's going. He knows when you're going to die. <laughs> Doesn't he know exactly what you need? Will he not provide it? <coughs> Absolutely. Can he be trusted? Can God be trusted? Amen. Yes. And as you seek first the kingdom of God, as you seek first his righteousness, won't he then provide exactly what you need? And guess what? If God wants you to have a million dollars, don't you think he's going to provide it? Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to struggle in this life. You don't have to say, oh, i got to be making all this money by such and such a date. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I didn't make it. <laughs> all my money went right down the tubes. What we need to be doing is be setting our heart to be honest. Set our heart to be honest. Do our best. Do our best. Be faithful with what God has put into our hand where we are. And then if he chooses to give us a million dollars, fine. If he doesn't, that's fine too. But be wary. Be wary. The attitude towards money, how you regard it, because it becomes a very subtle thing, loving money. And loving money will lead to all kinds of problems. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24? 
He said, you cannot serve God and money. Same thing. He says, you can't love God and you can't love money. You can't. You're going to love one or you're going to love the other. You're going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. You can't serve them both. You can't serve them both. Do you remember what, um, you remember a guy by the name of Achan? Joshua chapter 7, do you remember that guy? Huh? He got in a little trouble, didn't he? Because of Achan, Israel suffered a humiliating defeat, and ultimately Achan and his whole family died. What was the issue over which this all happened? Money. And it wasn't a whole lot of money, was it? It was just a little tiny bit. Who would know? I mean, it's just a bit. It's just a little tiny bit. God took it very seriously, didn't he? Absolutely. Do you remember a guy by the name of Balaam? Balaam sinned against God, and God killed him. What was the issue? Money. Money. He went for a bribe, didn't he? Sure. Do you remember a gal by the name of Delilah? Betrayed one of the judges of Israel, Samson? What did she betray him for? Money. Do you remember that lovely pair, Ananias and Sapphira? (laughs) Ananias and Sapphira. You read about them in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. The first hypocrites in the church. God executed them as a testimony against their misuse of what? Money and their deceitful use of money. Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember a fellow by the name of Judas? For money, he what? Sold Jesus. I mean, that's, that's not very good company for money lovers, is it? And when you love money, that's the company that you fall into. That's the company that a person falls into when they love money. So it's very, very, very important how we regard money. It's very important to God. It's very important to our life. Would you agree? Well, what happens to us when we love money? What kinds of things go on? What are characteristic things in the life of one who loves money? What does loving money lead to in our life? The first thing it leads to is forgetting God. We forget God. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. I want you to see this. Proverbs 38 and 9. Now, the 30th proverb is a collection of sayings by a man named Augur. Now, Augur was a guy who was a contemporary of Solomon who wrote the rest of the the Proverbs, books of wisdom. And Augur stood off on the side, and he observed Solomon's life. And he watched Solomon. I mean, Solomon was the richest man to ever live. The richest to ever live. Solomon entered into incredible numbers of political and economic alliances with all the nations surrounding Israel. He married heathen princesses and queens in order to have these alliances in order to continue to add money to his treasury. And he added more money and more money and more money to his treasury. And ultimately, when you follow Solomon's Life, and you see what's happened. You know that Solomon had over a thousand wives? Can you imagine that? Guys, can you imagine that? A thousand wives. 
I can barely keep up with one. You say, this guy was wise. He had all these alliances. He was continually adding to his treasury. And then ultimately you observe his life. And he, because all of these wives and concubines were pagans, and they brought in with them into Israel, into the very court of Israel, all their pagan gods and goddesses and worship practices. And ultimately what happened is Solomon led Israel right down the path to idolatry. And then his whole life fell apart right in front of his eyes. Because of money. But here's this guy, Augur. And he's observing this whole thing. He's standing off watching Solomon. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. I love this. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. He says, I don't want to be a rich man, and I don't want to be a poor man. Just give me what I need today, Lord. Someone else said that too, huh? Remember who that was? Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 9, he says, otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You see, it can cause one to forget God. When you got so much money, you can forget God. And Augur sees this because he saw Solomon forget God. He said, don't give me all that money. I don't want to take a chance. Just give me what I need today. And he goes on and he says, and don't give me so little that I am become poor and I steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So don't make me a rich man, don't make me a poor man. Just give me what I need today. Loving money can lead one to forget God. Do you see that? You see it, what happened in Solomon's life, and Augur observed that. Not only will we forget God, but we'll stop trusting in God. The great danger in having lots of money is that you begin to trust in it. Right? Have you ever known someone with lots of money? Who's trusted in it? The majority of people trust in it rather than in God. They're proud of saying, boy, I'm a self-made man. Look at me. I don't need anybody. I've got all this money. Money means power, right? You run the danger with lots of money if you love it, not only to forget God, but obviously to quit trusting in Him. Proverbs 11.28 says this, Trust in money, and down you go. That's what it says. Trust in money, and down you go. Down you go. 1 Timothy, again, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, he says, don't, don't put your hope in money, don't put your trust in wealth, but put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. What else does loving money lead to? Well, it leads to being deceived. You see this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Jesus taught that parable. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark. Money can deceive us when we love it. Loving money can bring a person to the point where he or she will actually compromise themselves. They're so deceived by money that they will actually compromise themselves. Do you have a price? Do you have a price? You ever thought about that? Sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we're not aware of whether or not we have a, a price or not. What would you sell out for? 
You ever think about it? Stop a moment. Think about that. What would you sell out for? I mean, it's been said, every person has his price, hasn't it? Do you believe that? I pray that's not true of you. I pray that's not true of myself, that we don't have a price. It's also been said that when money speaks, the truth is silent. And how many people have suffered economic devastation because they were not silent when money spoke? I have a friend who is an NFL quarterback. This man loves the Lord, and he, he's been in the league 11 years, and uh, on fire Christian. And uh, early in his career, he was very vocal about his Christianity and about serving the Lord. And he has never quite made it. He's never been used the way he could have been. He chose not to compromise his testimony and to suffer the consequences for his faith. That's pretty outstanding, isn't it? He suffered great economic hardship because of that. The guy's talented, incredibly talented. Coaches have told him, guys on teams he's been on have told him, he says, I can't understand why they're not using you. His wife told me one time that she overheard somebody say that he's been blackballed because of his Christianity. Don't be silent about your faith when money speaks. Don't be afraid to speak up. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, are we not? Absolutely. Our reward is not here, is it? It's elsewhere. Will God provide for us? Absolutely. We can speak up. Would you lie to get a job or a promotion? Would you lie to make a sale? Do you have a price? Would you sell out for position? Would you sell out for popularity? How many of us have time and again not spoken up because we didn't want to be disliked or ridiculed or laughed at? Have we not sold out for popularity? Sure we have. Something to think about, isn't it? What's our price? You know, Satan's going to find out what your price is, and he's going to make an offer, isn't he? Time and time again, he's going to make an offer at that price. Doesn't Peter say, be on your guard? Be prepared for your adversary, the devil, is roving about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour? So be on your guard. If you've got a price, he'll find out, and he'll make you an offer at that price. And he'll lay you low. He'll lay you low. Be careful about your attitude towards money and about loving it and about wanting to be popular and so forth. I hope we don't have a price. I hope you don't compromise biblical principles to make a sale. That's sin, isn't it? That's sin. I hope you can't be bought. I hope you don't testimize the testimony of Jesus to gain a promotion because if you do, you're selling out for the love money. You say, well, what, what's exactly what's the point at which I sell out? How can I know that point? It's very simple. When Matthew 6.33 stops operating in your life, what's Matthew 6.33? What is it? 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? When that, seek, then that ceases to operate in your life, when you find yourself seeking somebody, something else or somebody else, then you find yourself selling out. You find yourself having been deceived and you're sold out. Don't seek something else. Seek the Lord. Seek his kingdom. Loving money can do something else. It can lead to having us rest on unstable foundations. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not, (laughs) I love this, do not wear yourself out to get rich. That's good advice, isn't it? Don't wear yourself out to get rich. He says, have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. I mean, they're here today and gone tomorrow. He says, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't break your neck to get rich. Don't fall in love with money. Because it's here today and gone tomorrow. Trust the Lord. He'll provide for you. Keep seeking out after Him. Keep seeking out after His kingdom and His righteousness, and He'll provide for you. You don't have to worry. Be honest. Do a good job. Be faithful with what He's put in your hand. And He'll give you exactly what you need. Plus a little extra. All right? Loving money can make you ungrateful. Can make you ungrateful. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We saw that some time ago. God says, hey, 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 I made you rich. Have you forgotten me? Are you ungrateful? You've forgotten to come back and thank me? Do you remember the, uh, the ten lepers that Jesus healed? How many came back? One. One. He says, where are the other nine? How many people, and in the contemporary church today, are ungrateful. And that's why I make this big deal about being thankful. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says there are two essential elements that are missing from the life of those who are godless people. One is that they don't give God his proper place. They don't honor him as God. Second, they don't express thanks. They don't express thanks. They're ungrateful people. Are you thankful? Do you get up in the morning and say, oh God, thank you for my job. Thank you for my boss. I do. I love my boss. You see, demonstrate an attitude of thanksgiving. You look at these things as God has put them into your hand. And we should be thankful, not ungrateful. Oh, we should be thankful throughout the entire day, every day. Thankful. And if you, if you love money, you won't be thankful. If you don't love money, you'll be content and you'll find yourself being thankful. Isn't that wonderful? Sure. If you love money, it'll make you proud. Proverbs 28.11 says, A rich man may be wise in his own eyes. He doesn't need God. Look at me. Look how well I've done. The rich man will say. He's wise in his own eyes. Doesn't Jesus say that it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter 
into heaven. Why? Because he's wise in his own eyes. He's proud. He doesn't need God. He's done it all himself. Just look around. See what he's accumulated in his barns. If you love God, you'll find yourself, or I mean, sorry, if you love money, you'll find yourself robbing God. Malachi, famous passage. Most of us are familiar with it. Third chapter of Malachi. Verse 8. Will a man rob God? You say, I'd never do that. I'd never rob God. If you love money, you'll rob God. You'll rob God. You'll rob God. And if you rob God, you'll be robbing others too. Because right in the next two verses, in verse 10, Malachi says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be, what? Food in my house. What was the food in the house for? Well, to feed the Levites. To have excess available for those who would come, who would have need. You rob God if you don't bring the tithe into the storehouse, you're also robbing others. Loving money leads to that. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17? John says that thing and he says, he says, you know, if you have the world's goods, if you have much in the way of possession and you see a brother in need, but you have no pity in your heart, how can the love of God be in you? That's a pretty convicting verse, isn't it? Sure it is. All he's saying is that you love money more. You love money more. So be wary of loving money. The whole issue for us now with respect to money is attitude. Attitude. What's my attitude towards the money? The wrong attitude is to love it. The right attitude is to be content, to be honest, to do your best, to be a good steward for his glory. Does that make sense? God, whatever you put into my hand, I'm going to use it for your glory. I'm going to watch over every penny. I'm going to steward every penny. It's not being a miser. It's being a good steward over that which God has given. Well, how do we use money? Well, as I said earlier, we've talked about that at great length. I just want to cover a couple of points with you, how we use it. The first thing that you've got to do is recognize that money, like everything else, like life itself, is a trust. God has put money into our hands as a trust, and he expects us to be a good steward over it and to administer it wisely. You remember my remark a couple weeks ago when we, we thought of ourselves as managing the money of a major corporation. Boy, you'd watch over every penny, wouldn't you? Sure, you wouldn't, you wouldn't mismanage the money if you were a controller or a treasurer of some major corporation, because why? They'd have you in jail. We should manage God's money the same way, true? Yes, we should be good stewards. In fact, Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. He says it's required. It's required of one to who a, a trust has been given that that person be faithful. You'd be a good steward. So the first thing is set your heart to be a good steward. Secondly, it's important to make sure that you've given yourself to the Lord. If you've given yourself to the Lord, then you can be sure that the next things will follow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 5, Paul talks about the Macedonian believers. He's writing to the Corinthians. You remember the Corinthians weren't exactly good stewards over their money. In fact, he's written them a couple of times and rather pointedly discusses their 
use of money, among other problems. And he says, let me tell you about the Macedonians. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to us. You can't give away your money. You can't use your money properly. You can't be a good steward of your money unless you give yourself to the Lord. You say, well, I gave myself to God. You've got to reaffirm that every day. I believe that with all my heart. I believe every day we get up, we ought to say, we ought to look in that mirror and say, Lord, I'm yours today. And we say it with conviction. I am yours today. I desire, I intend, I make it my purpose to live this day for your glory and to serve you faithfully. And Lord, strengthen me that I might walk in a manner worthy to serve you in all respects. And we have to get up every day and purpose that in our heart. Rehearse that reality over and over each day. Otherwise, we just go, ah, kind of go through the day. And pretty soon we find ourselves out in left field someplace. You found that to be true? Sure. Doesn't Paul say at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, now listen, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to be sure you are of the faith. Reaffirm these things. That's why we have communion regularly. That's why Jesus says have communion often. Why? Because it's an opportunity to affirm and remind ourselves of that which is true and real. If we're not doing it regularly, then we just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And if it's not in our thinking, it's not part of it, it's not up front in our thinking, then we're not going to carry it out. You remember the Jews? When Jesus said, you know, God said, have these things, bind them on your forehead and your mind. Out of Deuteronomy, what'd they do? They took little scriptures, put them in a box, and bound them on their forehead. You see God in heaven go, oh man. I didn't mean that way. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. How do we use our mind? Well, first we give ourselves to God. Next, we develop a regular pattern a systematic pattern of giving. And we give to the church. This is in the New Testament. You see it in the book of Acts. You see it in chapter 4, where those who had money would periodically sell what they had, and they would bring it, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would then invest it for eternity. You see that? They would bring it to people, bring their money to the church. In uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, uh, what's the verse? Yeah, chapter 16, verse 2. Paul instructs the Corinthians, he says, the first day of the week. I want you to bring a portion of that which God has given you, the first day of the week, bring it for the offering, for the collection. Now, why would he say that? Because I think that he wants us to develop a regular, systematic way of giving. Not a haphazard way of giving. We need the discipline of giving regularly, don't we? We need that. And too many times we don't develop that discipline and we wonder why there's not some other disciplines in our life that need to be there. Giving is a significant one and we need to give systematically, regularly, once a week out of that which God has already given to us. We need to bring it to the church, says the New Testament. And then we need to give to those who are in need. 
those around us. We look around, we see someone in need. You don't say, well, I've already given my, my portion to the church. No, be free enough to give to those that you see in need. If you see someone in need, go. Go meet that need. You say, well, how much should I give? Your giving should be sacrificial. 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 Too many times our giving is easy. And you know what? Listen to this. Giving is not God's way of raising money. That may astound some people. Well, I thought, I thought this was God's way of funding the kingdom. No. I mean, God could fund the kingdom fine without us. Giving is not God's way of raising money. Listen to this. Giving is God's way of raising kids. How many parents do we have? Being a parent, hasn't it been one of the desires of your heart that you would teach your child to share? Share that with your brother. No. Share that with your sister. Share that with your little playmate. No. Every time you and I give sacrificially, we give away a little bit more of our selfishness. Think about that. Now, when you give comfortably, when you give out of your excess, when it doesn't cost you anything, are you giving away some of your selfishness? Not really. No, it's easy. It's comfortable. You start giving sacrificially, and you're going to find yourself giving away selfishness. You're going to find yourself being, becoming a more generous person. You're going to find that, indeed, the promise of Scripture, he who gives, it shall be given to him. Because your life is going to be changed, and because your life is being changed, God is going to see that your needs are met. Give sacrificially. And you'll be giving away your selfishness, and God will indeed be raising up a child. True. Try it. Let's see. See if that isn't true. Give sacrificially. You remember Zacchaeus? I love this. Luke chapter 19. Now your reference should be verse 8. That's a misprint, verse 18. It's Luke 19, 8. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I need to stay at your house tonight. And Jesus stays at his house, and Zacchaeus invites all the tax collectors and the prostitutes in town. You know, they have a great old time. Zacchaeus obviously gets saved. And when he gets saved, he says, Lord, I give half of everything I have to the poor. That shoots the 10% theory, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you remember David, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24? What does he say there? Someone wanted to give him field. Someone wanted to provide him with whatever he needed to sacrifice to the Lord. David said, no way. I'll not sacrifice anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. When I make a sacrifice to the Lord, it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something. Because he's worthy of that. Didn't he say that? Sure. Sure he does. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, let me read to you what Paul writes there. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Actually, verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly 
I mean, you can give and you can give sparingly. You're going to reap sparingly. He says, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Do you believe that? Do you really? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, and he shouldn't do it reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A hilarious giver. God loves someone when they're going to throw their money in the bucket or they're giving away some money. They're just doing it hilarious. This This is the greatest thing. You ever run into something that you thought was the best thing since the zipper? I mean, I mean, that's a pretty phenomenal thing. Think of the guy that figured out how to make a zipper. You've heard the saying, boy, that's the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you're just overwhelmed with some of the things that, that, that life has for us. We've got to be hilarious so we're giving. Why? Because we know that God's using it to raise us up. We know it's a way that we give away our selfishness. We get to give sacrificially. Not that your arm is twisted. Not that you're coerced, not under compulsion, but what you've decided in your heart. God, this is a sacrifice for me. And you know it is. I can't lie about it to you. You know what I got. You know what you've given me. This is a sacrifice for me. And I give it hilariously. I count it a joy to give it. I can't hardly wait to give it. Driving me nuts. I can't hardly wait. Incredible, huh? Your giving should also be secret and humble. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, if you give for the praise of men, then that's it. That's what you get. You get their praise, not God's. Simple. Does that mean you shouldn't write your name on the envelopes? No, write your name on the envelopes. But don't just outline it with glitter (laughs) and put little Christmas lights on it and say, oh, look at what I'm giving. Just write it in a nice small script, you know, so we just keep the records. We're required to by law. Finally, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. Turn there. You, this is worth looking at. Luke 16, verses 10 and 11. We started this whole series of messages off with this, with this idea in, in mind. How we relate to money has a direct bearing on our spiritual fruitfulness. And Jesus says it right here. Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's kind of like you play the game like you practice, isn't that true? Verse 11, so here it comes. So if you have not been trustworthy, now get what he says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now remember, wealth The biblical term wealth is something as opposed to nothing. So if you've got a little bit, you're not a real wealthy person, you really are wealthy in comparison to the rest of the world. But the point is you have something God has provided. And if you've not been trustworthy with what he has put into your hand, how in the world do you expect him to ever trust you with true riches? What does he mean by true riches? Spiritual fruitfulness. A vital ministry. Souls. Isn't it the desire in the heart of every true born-again Christian to lead people to Christ? To disciple somebody? To teach them? To invest, help them invest their life in the kingdom? And if you've not been doing that, look at your finances and look how you're using them. If you don't find much spiritual fruit in your life, why is it? Look at your finances, he says. If you're not doing what you need to be doing with worldly wealth, 
then I'm not going to trust you with true riches. You just go along your way, doing your thing, being complacent. But woe to you. Woe to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name. We thank you for being our God. Strengthen us that we might be good stewards over all that you put into our care. That we not be sloppy with the money that belongs to you that you've entrusted to us. That we'd not love it. Lord, many of us will wrestle with that. And that's good that we wrestle with it. We need to. We need to come to a point as Jacob wrestled with you that we too would wrestle with you. Indeed, that you'd, by your grace, give us the ability to be content. We love you tonight. We desire, Father, to bear much spiritual fruit, be a blessing to those around us. We confess to you that we need your help. As we go to communion tonight, as we remember Christ and we thank him for what he's done, we thank you for giving him for us. We pray that your spirit would fill us with all grace and understanding of these things. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being our God and our Savior. We praise your name. Help us to be good stewards. Thank you, Father. Amen? All right. Let's have